When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find a see. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I got Rich Possum back here talking about what's happening in the world of economics. So, Rich, how you doing, bud? Very good, thank you. Did you enjoy your Fourth of July? I did, and I hope you did as well. I did. Got all my fingers still, so we're that's a plus. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I've managed to keep them on there for forty five years. So see, if we can't keep them on for another one. I guess so, yeah, that works out. <laughs> yep. Um, job report came out. Um, a little sketchy there Thursday on the on the uh, on the over under there put out by the would you say the ADP is that right and then uh, ADP yeah yeah <clears throat> so then the, the number came out today and it was better than better for the market anyway I guess than what was than what had previously been anticipated so I guess that's a good point yep what's your thoughts there Rich okay so ADP they're a payroll service so a lot of people over the decades have assumed they mean no more than anybody else, but if you look at their track record, it hasn't been very good. But uh, uh, Carl Quintanilla, I think, over at CNBC, I, I may have the wrong person, but they uh, they showed a study on that that actually ADP runs a little more accurate than the group of people or businesses being polled on jobs. Jobs has always been a very difficult 
thing to forecast is just as bad as people trying to forecast acreage of grains, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's that difficult. And uh, so most of the people, most of the time are way off the mark. So ADP come out with 465, maybe 495,000 jobs. Huge number. I mean, it just blows it right out of the water. Scared the stock market. And here's an interesting thing. Just before they came out with that, my model said, stock market ought to come down Thursday, Friday, maybe into Monday, Tuesday next week. And I got looking at it and I said, gee, the model's not actually forecasting any bad news. It's not tracking any developing news. I don't see a reason for it to go down other than it's just normal business of how we do business. And that's exactly what the model is saying. It's just normal business. It's just time for somebody mm-hmm. to sell it. Well, then ADB come out and I said, now we got news to back it up. It makes sense. And they come out with that big number. The stock market's dropping fast and hard. Uh, interest rates are shooting up. And I thought, oh, here we go. Um, it just scared people that that was such a big number. The Federal Reserve will be raising rates forever. <laughs> so it's that right. big a deal. But right. now, then, then I sat back and I looked at, well, we already know you can't trust anybody forecasting jobs. I said, my model saying there's this is not going to be a destructive moment. We're not getting problems. The market's still going higher the rest of this year. All we're going to have is news that may really scare us, but it's only going to last for a little while and blows over. So I decided to go with the idea ADP was going to be high, but I didn't have a clue. I don't try to forecast that number myself. Uh, I have in the past. I've had some unbelievably accurate times, but rest of the time not, right along with everybody else. And I uh, today they come out with 209,000 jobs. So big difference from ADP. ADP was way off the mark. And actually, the other pollsters might have been a bit more accurate uh, an ADP this time around. So the stock market recovered a little bit today. It's kind of easing back now. It's kind of just trying to finish the week off. But I, it's almost like the stock market is saying, oh, I'll wipe the sweat off my brow here. I'm a little le- less nervous now. Okay. But why is the market nervous? Where, where are we going from here? Well, next week we got an inflation report on Wednesday, CPI report. And the true inflation people that I follow um, they're down to 2.3%. The government uh, last month was at 4%, but at least it's coming down. It's coming down at a faster pace. I think eventually it catches up to trueflation. I think we'll learn trueflation was right eventually. Uh, it's just a leading indicator. So to me, that's not a reason for the Federal Reserve to raise. But all along, or at least let's say the last six months, there's been a concern that it's not just inflation, it's the jobs. And that the Federal Reserve wants to cool the economy down. They don't want to kill it from a job perspective. They'd like to kill it in the sense of bringing down inflation, but they're not winning on inflation. They should know that. They should wake up here and say, okay, we don't have to keep working on bringing down inflation. But I think they'd feel more comfortable if they brought down the job creation, slowed things down a bit, just give them an extra edge. And Fed is notorious for really being a slow follower of everything. They ch- they'll change their mind after you and I well know there's a reason for them sure. to change their mind. Right. And and a way I don't blame them. I, I fully understand they don't want to get caught up caught up into making many different decisions. Whereas traders like myself, you know, hey, if I don't like it two minutes from now, hey, I'm going to sell it and start over. All right, right. but uh, you know, obviously with a Fed, they, they got to do it a little bit differently there. At any rate. Um, I don't know where we're really going in the sense that the last time the Fed spoke after their uh, monthly meeting, 
they said they were back to considering maybe a couple more rate hikes this year. And that bothered the markets a little bit for a few hours. But, um, you know, they also said that they probably wouldn't even lower rates for a year from now. And that bothered the market for a couple additional hours. And that was about it. So you can see the market is saying, listen, I can't follow the Fed Reserve on everything. I can't worry about inflation. I got to consider we're doing business. We're making jobs. We're doing something. The companies are making money. These stocks are worth more. That's how I view the stock market if it could talk to us. Um, that's the message. Okay. So it's done very well shrugging off a lot of bearish news here in the last six, 10 months, uh, eight months. And it's done very well of keeping this bullish posture. And it just looks like Things are developing, which I'll talk about in a moment here in terms of the economy and stock market ought to do better. But here's the Fed saying they may still raise and they may still raise, you know, one or two times uh, this year. I don't think it's going to cause a serious problem for the stock market. I think stock markets are going to say, you know what, the Fed's going to do what they got to do and we're going to do what we got to do and we'll just deal with it the best we can. So I view a rate hike as a short term problem for the stock market, not a long term problem. And today's jobs number at 209,000, uh, it's interesting how the psychology shifts. I thought as soon as they'd say that number, they'd say, whoa, you know, this is fantastic, you know. And instead they said, oh, it's a sign that the jobs are slowing down. <laughs> and really, 209,000 is a nice number, okay? It really is. But it's interesting. And why is people, that? Why is that a nice number? Uh, pretty much tells us uh, of a normal economy, <clears throat> normal history of what we would create on a monthly basis. Okay. Uh, it should bounce. It should bounce around two hundred thousand uh, monthly, at least quarterly, that kind of thing. So I think the you know the mentality is going to be there. They're still going to wear over the Fed somewhat, but I think overall they like this. Uh, they should like this jobs number. That in a way, it's it's not too hot where we have to worry about the economy is going to blow up. It's also not too low or cool for the economy to uh, to be worried over the economy going into recession. Right and. And I must say, all this talk of recession that at least the list I follow, I hardly have anybody left on my list that's calling for a recession. They have really backed off here in the last three or four months. There's some out there, no question about it. I'm just saying the ones I follow, they're just they're changing their mind. And we're seeing people look out 12, 24 months and they're just saying these companies are going to be making more money. The price to earnings is going to be better. These stocks are actually looking a little price to us now. And the prices are actually reflecting that. The stock market looks better on the S&P 500, that means 500 stocks in that index, types of stocks, companies, 500 companies. Um, that is rebounding from 50 to 60%, actually 40% to around 60-some percent, maybe close to 70% now of those stocks are above their 200-day moving average. Now, the 200-day, that's chart talk, uh, that's technical talk, but fundamental people have learned to respect some of those averages, those studies. They understand what that's telling us is people – Instead of having five different companies in their portfolio, they're now got 10, 20 stocks. Well, you only do that if you're feeling fairly comfortable where the economy is going, the overall stock market, and you're finding more and more companies that look cheap to you. Even if they're not cheap, you, you, you see the reason they're going to move higher. They're going to be worth more. And uh, so that's an encouraging sign. There's also another study people like to do called breadth. And that's really also the like uh, taking the New York Stock Exchange and you're looking at the number of stocks going up 
pounding out new highs for the year, maybe number of stocks going down and they make ratios out of that and various indicators out of that. And I don't follow that one as much as I used to, but a recent one I saw that someone did, they smoothed it out and that, uh, what they call it is the advanced decline line. It was as high, it's near record high. And yet the stock market isn't back to its record high. What that tells us is there's just more and more companies are waking up doing what better and money is flowing into those. And on the sideline, there's lots of cash out there uh, that people either pulled out of the market a while ago and or it's fresh money they just earned in their paycheck and they're putting it into their IRAs and the 401ks. That money's going to come to work. I don't know as we will see it come to work by huge amounts in a short period of time because they will say you can now get 4.5% in your money market and your stock account. At least I'm getting it. I was so proud of myself. I bought CDs at four and three quarters last year. And now I still have a few CDs to come off yet, but I can learn just as much as my money market. And I don't even have to have a lock in a CD. I asked myself, well, why did they do that? I should have just waited <laughs> and the rate would be there, you know? Right. So the point is compared to just a few years ago when you got 0% on your money, okay, people are saying, gee, you tell me I can get four and a half percent and I don't have the risk like in the stock market. So I don't doubt some people will keep more money than normal in money markets, CDs, things like this. Um, they're more cash than normal, but we don't need all of that cash to come in in the stock market to have a very good stock market, okay? So uh, I'm very encouraged with the amount of money that can come in here, push that higher. I encourage what I see in the economy other than uh, in the sense that, uh, let me back up a bit. Uh, there was a report that came out this week called the Jolts Jobs Report, and it's really the number of jobs that are available. They're opened up. They're, they haven't been taken yet. They're not true jobs. They don't go in the jobs report. It's a separate report. That backed off a half a million jobs. Well, that sounds like a lot. And a little while ago, it backed off like 900,000. But guess what? I think we still got like 9 million job openings. So the point is the labor market is tight. There's still plenty of jobs there. But things are easing back a bit. It's I don't know if cooling off is correct, but maybe, maybe that is. Uh, you know. Well, to me, that should support... Um, what the Federal Reserve would like to see. That it's saying the stock, the, the jobs market isn't like going so hot that it's going to blow up on us, okay? But it's still strong. So again, it's debatable just how the Fed will come about. Uh, my interest rate model is saying, well, the bond market's coming up because they are concerned the Fed will raise, but the bond market acts like it really doesn't want to go up much at all. And on long-term bearish interest rates, I think we're going to get back to a normal economy Eventually, the Fed will come down in rates next year. Will bring the and the free market can run ahead of that, lead it lower. To me, that's a positive thing for our economy and, and the stock market. But the next few weeks, okay, we're going to be a bit nervous here. Uh, will the Fed raise, and what are they going to speculate on? Are they going to raise yet a second or third time this year? But unless they're going to raise every darn month this year, I don't see them raising high enough to truly hurt the economy right now. And it's okay to cool the economy off a little bit by some measurements. And uh, now other reports that came out this week, PMIs. Now, I'm a big PMI fan. I had been for 20-some years, and I've studied it back to 1950s. Um, it's a nice clue of GDP. It's a nice clue of how the economy is doing. 
problem is last year and this year, I don't think the PMI knows what the heck it's doing. Okay. And on, and it's mostly on the manufacturing side. If you look at those PMI numbers, they're low enough that yes, we should be concerned we're in a recession. The weird thing is you look at the services PMIs and it's now saying, well, the economy is growing. We actually had a very good number uh, this week. It was at 53 for one of the companies that puts out a PMI. And that means if it's above 50, your economy is growing. If it's below 50, it's not. Well, the PMIs for manufacturing are below. And it took me a while to figure out what's going on. These manufacturers made so much money out of this inflation. And they were, they were holding back what they were selling, keep the price up, ask for higher and higher prices, keep the margins up. But they were actually building supplies. Once that supply chain fixed, they just started manufacturing more and more, build a supply. Well, it's obvious someday you might build too much supply. And I don't think they clearly or maybe they knew it, but they couldn't time it well enough. But what occurred is eventually people said, we're not going to buy any more than what we need. We're not going to pay these high prices. Inventory started backing up. Some of these stores started lowering prices. And it spooked the manufacturing sector a little bit. They're overreacting. They're nervous that, at least for them, things aren't going to look good. And unfortunately, that's trickling through for all these PMIs and making people think, well, the economy might be slipping here. It's not true. If you look at the rest of the economy, it's doing well to very well. So my conclusion is I'm going to stick with my forecast. The manufacturing PMI will catch up here this year. I'm running a little (laughs) bit late on it. But on the services, I called a bottom in services late last year, and today that's still correct. Early this year, I called a bottom in the manufacturing, and it was looking correct for about two, three months. And as of this report, it's not looking correct. But the mall's saying, don't give up on it. It's just, you know, eventually it's going to move higher. So it is something to watch, be a little concerned. But I think I've figured out internally with manufacturing that they're just a little too pessimistic on themselves and, and where the country's going. And I have seen this on a shorter term basis. I just haven't seen it for this this length of time. But that is something mm-hmm. to monitor, look over our shoulder. But uh, I'm actually quite comfortable with the idea PMIs will work higher. It's not a problem for the economy. And then I said, PMIs give us a clue of GDP. Well, if we look at the GDP only for the first quarter, the government revised it from 1.3 to 2%. So they recognized during the first quarter things were actually better than what they were thinking at the beginning or during the first quarter. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised we're going to be at 2.5%, 3% going into the end of the year. And yeah. that's why the stock market's going to be moving higher. And it's just these PMIs are going to have to catch up that they, they're just lagging more than normal. So and, I got a question. Uh, and so, okay. So you're talking about, and you've talked about this since you, this, since this whole recession starts talk started going down the pike. You're like, we're not going into a recession. This is not going to be a recession. <clears throat> so this right here, what you're talking about, proves that that we're not going to be in a recession, right? I really, yes, absolutely. I just so, so why do you, know, why is everyone still beating the drum, the recession drum, so hard? Well, again, there's less of them, but uh, and more of them now are kind of backing up, saying, "Well, actually, we're in a rolling recession, so it never gets as severe." It's transitory. As, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and uh, so you, you can see them backpedaling, trying to cover themselves. Some of them right. have been right up front with us; they've literally flipped, right. and uh, they just see the economy doing better. Uh, others are thinking we're in a rolling expansion now, so they don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be an explosion in our economy. It's going to take some gotcha. work. But, yeah, you, you can see the mentality has definitely changed. Anybody who's still blood-curdling negative on the economy, 
If you look at the history over the past 100 years, as I have with these business cycles, when you're in a decade-long economic growth, you can get some nasty downturns along the way, but they're short. They don't last long, and they're not as bad as it can be if you actually had a recession. And the answer thing is recessions don't show up during that number of years of growth. So then I went back and looked, well, what were the people doing who were wrong? They just didn't get it right. And it's fascinating to me as you go back 100 years, you can find people saying the same things they're saying today. Oh, it's the end of the world. They said it 100 years ago as well Mm -hmm. during that economic growth phase. So in my opinion, these people have been so negative. They got it right last year. They just didn't recognize the bottom and they're now running behind. And if you know anything of the S curve and the adoption diffusion curves, we've moved from the innovators at the early part of last year that recognized things were going to start falling apart on us. We've moved now to the laggards are the only ones that bet on the downside. And maybe this is being a bit uh, rash here, uh, not being fair, but I view the the term laggards. My definition is the suckers. <laughs> so <laughs> I I honestly I, I just you know I think that's all that's left here to bet on the downside. Now that doesn't mean they can't be right short term, and some of them are a little bit different how they show it. They'll tell you and I they're long term negative. And then you look if you follow them in great detail, they do bet, cover themselves, and some of them do quite well and still make money anyways, even though their long term bearish forecast is, is wrong. So, um, yeah, I, I can't look back now. Okay. I got, I'll get them, I'll give the markets quite a bit of room to come down at times, but, um, looking at how this economy is doing, I don't know. I think it took an asteroid to strike the planet here to, uh, cause us some problems. And last I knew from NASA, even though we've had more than I've seen in my lifetime lately and they've been closer, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think yeah. one's coming yet. So they just haven't they haven't found it yet. And that's the problem. That's right. They'll find it, they'll right. find it after it goes by. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's usually what happens. They, oh, that one could have killed us. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so you know, I'm sorry. I, you know, I just, in a way, it sounds like I've had a broken record for a year and a year and a half. But I've actually, when I look back, as I'm like, gosh, I've been right from October 12th in the stock market bottom. And I, I said, I think that's the latest allowed to bottom. But I've said the economy can take a little longer than that, and it did. But we're seeing the improving evidence here that I think we're on our way. And yep. I think I think if the Fed's going to destroy our economy, they're going to have to raise it much higher than this. And I just don't understand why. My guess is they do that, they're going to get fired finally. <laughs> so <laughs> I just I just right. don't think that's uh, I just don't think that's really on their on their game plan at this time. But I. I, I wish they'd just stop raising permanently here and start talking about lowering. But I, I, like I said, they're, they're, they lag uh, this, and they, they do like to be a little bit safer. But um, And they, they even said in those minutes uh, that was released this week, even though they were talking of additional rate hikes, they were saying they could be slower at it, uh, almost sounded like more careful, so they're going to be smaller increments. You're not going to see the half point, three quarters. There's probably going to be a quarter point. So I'm less concerned of it. To me, all that stuff is just going to like slow us down on how fast the stock market moves up, and maybe how high. But uh, I don't, I don't see it uh, giving us a problem here uh, in the stock market, and I don't see a problem for the economy. I mean, we're seeing some very good internal numbers. I mean, they're even building new businesses better. And you look at manufacturing, construction, spending 
probably record amounts. The chart goes right straight up how much you're spending. Now, that one, I realize you look at construction spending soaring, you might say, oh, my gosh, we're going to have an explosive economy here. And, again, an explosive economy may scare people about inflation. I don't know if that construction is really going to build enough jobs fast enough and create enough boom economy to really be outrageous. I, I think it's going to be a nice assistance. Uh, the next reason of why we continue to move higher for the stock market and why we're going to grow the economy more. But I don't know if it's going to be this explosive run of, wow, we got a tremendous amount of jobs. I think it's already being planned and, and dialed in. So I'm, I'm happy to see us get our manufacturing back. I'm just saying I'm not so sure it's you know going to be a great guns kind of thing, you know. Yep. That makes sense. Um, let's talk about grains a little bit. And I think this will kind of lead into some of your, some of your climate stuff you want to talk about here towards the end. But, um, we had, uh, just wicked dry up until about 48 hours ago. And, you know, all hell's broke loose on, on the rain thing. It looks like, and, um, you yep. you're looking like guys states, they've had, they've had a pretty good week of rain. Um, and, what the the crop the corn crop is not not going to be a disaster now i mean that won't be trend line i mean who knows if it's going to be trend line or not what that looks like but it's not going to be an epic fail like like we thought it was going to be like the the course was headed down um you look at corn right now i think december corn right now my last alert was trading like four dollars and 97 cents september corn is trading um somewhere in the neighborhood of like four dollars and 90 cents or something like that Mm -hmm. um and i might have those flipped around too but um I guess, Rich, as you're looking at, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So corn right now, December corn. And this was this was as at the close. Uh, December corn was uh, four ninety four and a half, and September corn was four eighty seven and a quarter. So it actually dropped quite a bit more after that. So uh, pretty big rundown on those. You take a look at demand. You see what's going on with demand right now. There's not a lot of demand out there for for corn, uh, especially what we see happening with with the. Uh, the uh, hog herd in China. I mean, it's just not rebound like I thought it was going to be. Yeah. As you look at grains, Rich, and uh, is there a wet blanket been thrown on this, or do you think this is just a blip here, and we're going to see something happen towards the uh, latter part of the year? Yeah, I'm I'm going to the wet blanket, but I'm trying to okay. protect myself, hedge myself because there's still <laughs> enough time. Right. Uh, the weather comes at us faster, just like everything else in life. And uh, mm-hmm. so I still, I'm still looking for that cyclical crop problem as late as next year. And I think it is next year, but I can't rule out, you know, something hot and dry July, August after all. And, uh, and mm-hmm. certainly just a dry August that might not create tremendously lower yield. And I really haven't been trying to forecast tremendously lower. I just say it's a possibility, but obviously if it's dry in August, it will, fill out, uh, you know, it won't fill the ears as well as corn, obviously, and that'll trim it back. Sure. So there's things can still make this into a bullish scenario, but my guess is even in corn, if we get that bullish scenario, I'm not convinced it could drive it to a new high for the year unless you really do get that cyclical crop problem that just comes out of nowhere here and everything turns into a desert. Well, that'll do it, but uh, I just don't think we're there. Uh, so I'm assuming that if we're going to get a big one, it's 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 next year. So I'm actually bearish into harvest and bearish into August. Uh, the model's saying you'll get a blip up in August. My model almost every year says there'll be a blip up in August, and sometimes it's five cents and sometimes it's much more. Uh, we'll see what we get when we get there. I will say, though, the way they beat the corn up 
I question when I say down into October, I'm sure that scares some people and thinking, well, boy, as fast as this drop and we'll be at three bucks. Well, now mm-hmm. I, I think we've overreacted here. Okay. Uh, the rubber band's going to get a little buoyant. And so I think if we're going lower, it'll, it'll slow, be at a slower pace, not so much lower here until we get a better handle on where we're going. But I have to be bearish, but I also have to allow for big up moves on a, on a short-term basis over just a few days just because of weather. That can happen throughout July, maybe even into August. But I just think overall the marketplace is going to learn it should just sell all rallies, all bounces, okay? And I think there's a significant group, maybe 50% of the market participants have that attitude right now, sell rallies. I think they they believe it's over, and I think they're probably right. Uh, my model did fairly well in corn. You know, I was bullish and moved, followed it all the way up into that week that it topped out. And I said, you know, something the model's saying this is the first week allowed for a top, a uh, significant top. Quite possibly, uh, it'll be all over for the rest of the year. But the model didn't trigger it right then and there. It wasn't that close to timing like I would have liked, and I didn't have the courage to do it because uh, I was looking at those weather forecasts too, even though in my state the drought was over practically overnight. You know, it just mm-hmm. everything overnight got better. And um, But for the, for the Corn Belt, it really wasn't that, and for prices, that didn't reflect that. But by the next week, it started crashing, fortunately, for my subscribers. I gave them various price levels to watch. That if it went down, we might as well assume that top's in place. So the model did fairly well as a backup, even though that was a abrupt <laughs> turn, straight up, straight down. And boy, you really had to be on the ball if you were going to catch it. And the model did fairly well of uh, suggesting downside targets and uh, feeling fairly comfortable with it. Now things might get a bit choppy here for a while. Now the soybeans held up better because of the USDA data mm-hmm. showing less planted acres. Um, yeah. But, but I'm working on a top right now, okay? I'm, I'm looking for signs that eventually soybeans will join uh, the corn market going lower, lower in August, probably a bounce, same thing for wheat, and then probably lower, may only drift a little bit lower into September, October. If they beat it up really hard in August, well, then we might even see that September, October bottom just a little higher, actually. I will allow for that. And then... We'll have to look to see where we wind up in December on into March to get a better feel for the demand and and then start preparing a weather. Would La Nina come back next year? Then we better look out for that cyclical crop problem and, and yet another reason to buy it again and see what we can do uh, to right. the upside. But right. uh, now, outside of all this weather and the crop and the yield, I uh, must say that, uh, yeah, the demand has really not been that good for a long while. And my models almost fell asleep here in the last two or three years on exports. It doesn't really particularly care what's going on with export numbers relative to price. It does care about export relative to volume and how much grain we have. But it's saying it does it just does not matter to traders as much as it used to. And I'm not sure when that will come back, but that will come back. And uh, if we do get a crop problem, it's going to excite demand. Even though they don't want to buy it, they're going to get scared and they'll push price up. But uh, And I do understand it over in China, but I must say uh, China corn prices shot up here. My model was fairly correct for that, but it's also looking for top pretty soon here. And China corn prices and Mm -hmm. uh, beans have held up quite nicely. Uh, Granted, China has some weather issues, and I don't know as I have the best people uh, in China here at this moment to keep me informed on uh, weather. 
so I'm watching a little more of just the price action and what is the market telling me. At the moment, it's acting bullish, like maybe they got a little more of an issue there than we have here. But the model is also saying, eh, it'll be all right by harvest. It'll be back down. <laughs> okay. Right. And, yeah. uh, and then Europe has had some issues, but uh, their wheat market, uh, for what I follow in the futures, has not paid uh, much attention to it. And the news has kind of backed off lately. So I think this is a year when nature is warning us that it can still have the cyclical crop problem. It's preparing for it, but I just don't think it's the year to get it done here in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, so what I really want to see, for those for those who really want to see all this cyclical stuff work for a crop problem, I think we've got to bring La Nina back, even though I realize we have we have had crop significant crop problems during El Nino times and during neutral times. But if you look at the greater number, it does look like you need La Nina, and we don't have La Nina right now. And I think that's just what happened. I made a comment this week of really waking up. We're getting more rains, getting things back. Um, Eric Snodgrass is a meteorologist, and I, I, yeah. I like his work. He made a comment here just a couple of weeks ago, and he was you could see he was leaving the door open to, to be bullish here, to, to be worried. And uh, yet he said El Nino was stopped right at like the western border of the Corn Belt into the plains. And he explained two other climate uh, movements, factors that were holding back El Nino. And he said, if that busts through, goes on through the Corn Belt, then you, we probably will get better rains. And I don't know where he's at today with that concept, but the way it looks to me is probably El Nino is now moving across the U.S. And, and so I got a feeling, yeah, yields are going to be lower, quite a bit lower than what USDA thought months ago. But I think for where the marketplace was thinking, it's really only going to be somewhat uh, lower here in yields. And I, I don't know if that's bullish enough, at least in the next uh, two to three months. Yep. And uh, so I, I think we're going to put, put the price low enough that then that number can be bullish as people have to use that, that corn, if that makes sense. So, um, no, it makes now, sense, sir. No, on this climate cycle, so if we have time, I got something I might sure. be a little too far out and strange, but it, it's fun stuff. All the time in the world. All right. So we've got. Uh, in my climate models, a, a lot of it is similar to Raymond Wheeler's uh, models, who uh, used to work for KSU, uh, Kansas State, and good he, school. Uh, and uh, yes, and he uh, his work was done primarily something like nineteen oh, twenties in the nineteen fifties. Uh, so he's been gone for quite some time, actually. The interesting thing is his analysis made forecasts even for this century. And as of the date, he's actually been still accurate, even though he's not around to explain it or defend it or anything. <laughs> but he has been mostly dead on, or mostly right on what climate was going to do. But also, he was a real serious thinker of climate impacts how we think, how we behave. It's not just crops. Um, and he's been right on that stuff, too, even in terms of how the stock market, the politics, religion is just fascinating stuff. Well, at any rate, he used uh, cycles ranging from a few years to a thousand years. My model does the same thing. And that's cycles in temperature and also separately in precipitation. And then he even blended them for a pattern that's really like cold, wet, cold, dry, warm, wet, uh, warm, dry. And when we say warm, dry, it's usually when we get the good old fashioned droughts. Now, his forecast was calling for warmer temps from like year 2000 till now, and it worked. 
But he was also saying a little cooler later this century. I'm not convinced it's going to be as cool as he was thinking. And he also talked about cycles well much larger than 1,000 years. It goes up to 100,000 years. But I was wondering, why was he not using those to forecast? And then I realized those cycles take thousands of years to try to find the top, the hottest temperature, and thousands of years to find the bottom, the coolest temperature. So it really doesn't help us forecasting-wise. It's a, just an observation, and it's a correct observation, but what do you do with it? Uh, so I never, never went beyond a 1,000 years, okay? Uh, but I will say, in theory, there's a 100,000-year cycle out the top now. Uh, and many years ago, I thought, ooh, this is going to lead to thousands of years of cooling now. And this is why some people were against global warming. I, you know, when they picked up on that, they were trying to use that as an excuse why it just wasn't going to fall through a work. But uh, today, this week, we got news of uh, the world was at now a record hot temp. And I just read an article just a few minutes ago that it may well have been the hottest temp in 100,000 years. And it struck me all of a sudden because I've been thinking of this 100,000-year cycle uh, that it's probably working. But uh, I'm concerned that these cycles of 1,000 years and larger may not top out to like next century and maybe much farther beyond that. And so it's just going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. There will be setbacks along the way that may fool us into thinking, okay, global warming is finally over. Shouldn't ever pay any attention to it anyways. <laughs> and, and yeah, it cools off and then later just comes right back uh, to make things actually worse. And it's getting hot enough now. We're starting to see some of those signs that things aren't working well. It's just too hot. And, uh, so it's interesting stuff to follow what might occur yet this century here on some of this mega stuff. But it's also interesting. We're now seeing some statistics that actually support some of those extremely large cycles of climate that it's, it's here and it's working and the trend is still intact. And I think it's going to be warmer still next decade. And then I probably will try to forecast a bit of cooling off, but I'm, I'm not going to be one of these guys that's going to say, well, it's all over. You don't have to worry about global warming anymore. Um, boy, there's too much that can uh, go wrong and extend that still warmer into next century and and beyond. And so where what's that going to mean for crops? Because frankly, I think all this global warming, we should have seen it much drier in places like the Corn Belt in the last couple of decades. But now I'm thinking, okay, that's not a sign it's not working. It just may be something down the road, farther, farther down the road, several decades, you know. But uh, today, uh, like I say, at least where we are right today for our corn belt or even our nation, I'm not convinced this is the, the big deal here that's really going to hammer these crops. Uh, maybe next year and maybe some of that will delay a little bit later, too. And uh, so sorry to disappoint some of those big bulls out there, but <laughs> I, think, I think weather has changed and weather short term, climate is long term. And I, I think at least the weather has changed here when some of this risk has been dissipated here for uh, defused a little bit. But uh, that doesn't mean we aren't going to get lower yields here and, and have to rebalance. But And I think the market's got it right, that there's no reason to really explode these prices higher right now. And uh, so we'll take it one step at a time from there. Right on, man. Well, I think that's uh, – there's a lot of stuff out there right now about – El Nino and La Nina and where it's at and what's going on. And, you know, Sean Hacks talked a lot about, uh, uh, can't remember what it's called now. Um, Iceberg cycle. Well, that part too, but, um, there's a, an M 
I can't remember what it's called. Something stuck in phase two, and that's what caused uh, this rain event. Um, I, I can't remember what it's yes, called. I, I, yeah, like yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking about, and it escapes yeah. me too. Yep, I um, understand that. But he's talked about that, and that's what kind of caused this rain event that we see happening right now. And had it been moving like it's supposed to have been moving through the different phases that it goes through, the rain would have not have happened. But this mm-hmm. opened the door to that kind of stuff, and which is very similar. kind of mirrors what uh, uh, the meteorologist you mentioned there. Um, Eric Snodgrass. Uh, yeah. yeah, Eric Snodgrass. You know, and that guy, I do, I do enjoy listening to Eric because he has some good stuff on there as well. Yep. So. Yep. Good stuff out there too. So it's uh, so we'll see. We'll see where we go with it, but like I say, my best guess, and there's still time for something to go wrong, but I think we've turned some kind of corner here, and and uh, I don't doubt yields will come in a bit lower than what a few months ago people were expecting. But And that's why I'm wondering if the market just hasn't overreacted on the corn side a little too quickly here. Mm-hmm. But what's it going to do once the beans come down? And I don't think the beans come down a huge amount because we already know we planted quite a bit less acres. So its balance sheet looks differently than the corn, you know. But it will be interesting to see what occurs here into early early August, and that'll tell us more where we're going long term. So, and as far right, as uh, as far as how this works in inflation, I, I just don't think the grains are really going to propel inflation higher, and I think we've got the inflation beat here. Um, but there's there's going to be moments they'll bump up as well and excite mm-hmm. us, but. I think we're going to go all right. I, the more and more of these measurements just show that finally, after all this virus pandemic and COVID and uh, um, the inflation and all of this, we're getting back to a normal economy. And the normal economy is uh, good enough to uh, support pro- commodity prices from dropping by gigantic amounts, at least, uh, but not necessarily to push them higher. And then it supports jobs growth and supports pay and it should support the, the stock market and the overall economy. Right on. Okay. Well, Rich, anything else you want to throw out there before we close it down? I think we're good here. I'm long-term bearish gold, but we'll, um, you know, uh, there can be bounces along the way. And dollar, uh, I think the dollar's not going to do anything for a few months, and that's I'm fine with that. I just don't want the dollar to soar. That causes problems for all my modeling, okay? Commodities, stocks, economy. Uh, the dollar will go lower, better still, but I'm fine with this this level of the U.S. dollar index. Uh, I think it means uh, better times for the world and the U.S. And even the world PMI services that came out this week, J.P. Morgan uh, uh, indicator, um, pretty much said the world's doing fine in the, in the services here. So I think we're okay. And, you know, crude oil, yes, it can do some seasonal bounces here in the next couple of months, but I'm kind of surprised how much production is really uh, cranked up here in crude oil. It's, it's better than I thought. And and that's fine because I said oil shouldn't bounce much anyways. And so I was fine with these price levels and right for it to come down to those price levels. But at the same time, I'm, and I now have a better understanding of why it came down because we've got some pretty good production. So I think that's going to limit the upside of oil. So I don't see a lot of things that can really hurt our economy and it should scare us that much here. Other than uh, to deal with what's called the Federal Reserve, <laughs> so right. which right. I think it's yeah. July twenty six. We got to watch out for their uh, meeting. I may be off in the day there, but it's about that time. And then next Wednesday, uh, we've got the CPI inflation report. But I, th- I think that should come down a nice amount. Mount. I think the markets uh, should like that. And that's about it for me. Okay, man. Well, let's talk a little bit about your podcast where they can find it. 
Yes, uh, go to criticalpointpod.com, and that site is my personal site. It's about my uh, my service, and uh, and my uh, Critical Point is owned by my LLC called RF Pico Group LLC. I've had that for decades. And uh, the website explains myself, the models, there's some free stuff there, but there's also a page that will take you over to the pod host site, uh, Podbean. And there you can also cite some free stuff as well as the subscription. Uh, and on both sites, there, there are links there to, to sign up. And I put out morning updates, uh, three of them audio. I just do them on my phone of what I think is going on. And then uh, there's two uh, during the week that um, – our video, so you can see what's really going on in the market. You see the price fluctuation. You see the labeling of the model of it's saying, okay, this was just a not so important sell signal or buy signal, but this one over here is far more important. And uh, you, you get a better feel for it. And one of those videos is actually a weekly update. It can, instead of a few minutes, it, it may last a half hour or so. Um, and I follow three grain markets. I follow crude oil, uh, gold, Bitcoin. Uh, bonds, interest rates, uh, the economy, and the stock market. But really, out of all of that, uh, the ones that are I do the most work on, at least explaining to people and signals, are uh, really the stock market, stock market, economy, and the grains. Right on. Okay, and that's criticalpoint.pod. Is that what you said? Uh, uh, criticalpointpod.com. Mm-hmm. And then they can also gotcha. find me at Twitter at uh, rich underscore uh, possum p o s s o n. And they can contact me there. They can also contact me at rich at ag-financial.com. That's an email I've had with my LLC for years. And, uh, right on. So send the questions in, and I'll try to answer them best I can. And, and, uh, but people ought to consider. For uh, I give us a roadmap where we're going for the decade on the stock market, the economy, and pretty much on commodities. I've got a, a plan at least the next five years of where these commodities are going. And uh, So get on board and join us here for this journey for this decade. Right on. <clears throat> right on. All right, Rich, appreciate you being the podcast, man. Thank you very much. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and go over to the YouTube channel, which is Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, for the video version of this very podcast. So more information about Moving Iron Podcast, go to movingironllc.com. We can find everything about the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Uh, if you feel like you need um, – uh, some more information than what's already there, just send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I'll make sure to get that back over to you ASAP. If you want to take advantage of the $50 discount from the folks at uh, Axon Tire, be one of the first 150 people to sign up, which that's getting uh, getting pretty full there. So if you want to do that, make sure you do that here ASAP. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Possum. Smooth smiling, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. 
TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Move.